Hey, it's Josh. Before we get into the episode, I wanted to let you all know that the Vermont Public Spring Membership Drive has arrived. Donations from folks like you make everything we do here possible. If you want to help support our people-powered journalism, be sure to make a donation in any amount by March 16th by going to bravelittlestate.org donate. And as always, thank you for your support. From Vermont Public Radio, this is Brave Little State. I'm Myra Flynn. And I'm Michaela Lafrac. And you're actually catching me in the middle of a Zillow session. No shade. I know you do this, too. I'm on the line with Erin McCormick. She's a real estate agent here. There's this one little cute gem that popped up this morning in Burlington, 1,200 square feet on a tiny lot. It's super, super cute, though. Um, Erin is showing me a little blue house with a coral-colored door. Four bedrooms, 1.5 bathrooms, listed at $359,000. This one, I think that that will go very quickly. It'll probably go closer to 400000 if I had to guess, just given the four bedrooms and that location in Burlington. Do you think that this house before the pandemic would have been listed for three fifty nine? No. What do you think it would have been listed as? Oh, man, probably closer to two seventy five, maybe. Oh, wow. 250. Erin is full of stories like these. Like, there's this one house in Essex that she's helping to sell right now. The house was purchased in 2017 for 419000 419000 And now that same house is going back on the market for $700,000. Welcome to Brave Little State, VPR's people-powered journalism project. Here on the show, we answer your questions about Vermont, our region, and its people. Because we think our journalism is better when you're a part of it. Today, it is really disheartening knowing that the homebuyer dream in my home state is slipping further away as we enter our 30s. A question about Vermont's housing market leads VPR's Michaela Lafrac down a complex path to find out why Vermont's housing crunch has become a crisis. The pandemic did not cause this housing crisis. We have been underbuilding in Vermont for so many decades that in many ways this is not surprising. We'll hear how some folks are coming up with some creative living solutions. A lot of our friends groups, we joking, half joking, half seriously talk about how much we'd love to start our own commune. And wrapped in that is the fact that none of us have the money to buy our own land or our own houses and all that kind of stuff. And unpack the idea of who gets to own a home in this state. If we want to be a community, a diverse community, then we have to make everyone welcome. We have support from VPR sustaining members. Welcome. Thanks to Vita for their support of Brave Little State. Since 1974, Vita has helped Vermont businesses grow and thrive. From agriculture to energy, startups to family companies. Find solutions that fit your business. Visit VEDA.org to start your next chapter today. And Sunset Lake CBD, a farmer-owned business crafting CBD products right here in Vermont. 
Learn more about their sustainable farming practices, delivery options, and how to support local farmers at sunsetlakecbd.com. If you're a longtime BLS listener, you might remember an episode from March 2019 about Vermont's housing crunch. Since that episode came out, a little thing called the pandemic happened, and our state's housing crunch turned into a full-blown crisis. In Vermont, advocates say the return of cold weather means people who don't have permanent homes are at serious risk. They're pressing for more state policies to help. There is simply not enough affordable housing to meet the needs of our community. One of Vermont's biggest credit unions announcing a major effort today to address the state's housing crisis and build more affordable homes. The situation's gotten so bad that a listener named Danny Gagnon reached out to Brave Little State about it. She lives in Montpelier. I have I just actually moved here about a month ago, but grew up in Braintree, Vermont. Danny's been living out of state for the past few years, all around New England. Last fall, she and her boyfriend decided they wanted to move back to Vermont. And what they thought would be a relatively painless move wasn't. It was really a real challenge to get here. Um, extremely limited housing uh, housing options. Sorry, there's snow falling off the roof. She wanted to rent a two-bedroom in or near Montpelier. Her budget was on the lower end, as she puts it. But she was hopeful, and she started her Craigslist search. The first thing she noticed, there were barely any listings. When one would finally pop up, she'd get all excited and then look at the price. And it would be more expensive than what I'd seen in Boston. So it was really surprising. Why was it so hard to find a place to live in her home state? Was it like this for everyone, or was she doing something wrong? So she sent in this question. How are the high housing prices and housing shortages affecting Vermonters? What are we doing, or what should we be doing to solve the housing crisis? Michaela. That is a huge question. Oh, hi, Brave Little State Engagement producer Myra Flynn. Hi. (laughs) I mean, could you have asked for any bigger of a question that's massive? Oh, my gosh. I know. I feel like I've been learning so much in the past couple weeks reporting out this story. Uh, But it's a complicated one. Yeah, I mean, I'm so interested in it. Um, You know, for personal reasons, you and I both have personal reasons kind of to be invested in this question. We both moved to Vermont this past year. Yeah, that's right. I was living in D.C., and like a lot of people, I got a job here in Vermont, and I needed to find a place for me and my family to live really quickly, like in a couple of months. And actually, Erin, the real estate agent I was Zillowing with at the top of this episode, she's the one that helped me buy a house here last year. What? Yeah, yeah. But I have to say that that like once I, I moved up here, we moved into this house, I, I felt like kind of kind of like ashamed or, or a little embarrassed in a way. Um, and I was thinking about why um, and listening to Danny's question. She says, how is the housing shortage affecting Vermonters? And that gets to this like really complicated question of, you know, who is a Vermonter? Who deserves to live here and to be a homeowner here? You know? Yeah, totally. That's been a that's been a Vermont thing for a while, right? Like, even if you've been here 30 years, you can be a flatlander. (laughs) (laughs) Right, exactly. And I talked to some state officials and found out that residential home sales in Vermont to out-of-state buyers jumped 38% 
between 2019 and 2020, which is just huge. Oh, man, we are a part of that percentage, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. That's, that's huge. That's pretty crazy. Well, you know, we also asked people on social media what their experiences with the housing market have been like. So honestly, I, I worry or think a little bit that we are part of the problem. We moved from Brooklyn. We have remote tech jobs and we wanted to get out of the city and, and live in Vermont. We have been trying to buy a home and putting offers in as we see houses that we like and are in our price range, which is already pretty limited. With the current market, we were at a point of putting in offers 35000 over the listing price and still continuously getting bought out by cash offers that were, that were lower than ours. And it is really disheartening knowing that the home buyer dream in my home state is slipping further away as we enter our 30s and I've already built solid career foundations in our area. And we have put in four offers so far over the course of the year and every single offer has been beat by someone else who comes in with all cash. So my wife and I moved here a year and a half ago. We currently rent. Uh, and we would love to buy, but there's just nothing really available. A lot of our friends' groups, we joking, half-joking, half-seriously talk about how much we'd love to start our own commune, and wrapped in that is the fact that none of us have the money to buy our own land or our own houses and that, all that kind of stuff. So that last caller, Emily, she and her partner actually just bought a house in Milton with another couple. That's the only way that they could afford a house to live in. Yeah, like co-op housing, cooperative exactly. housing. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Michaela, you also tweeted about this story, and I saw in the responses a lot of pissed off people from all <laughs> over the state. Yeah. There's, um, there's Jocelyn in Guilford who says, finding an affordable house for her and her kids feels hopeless. Ugh. And Ross in Chittenden County who called the house hunting process incredibly frustrating. Yeah, and, and on the flip side of that, Many of the people who already do own houses kind of hit the jackpot in a lot of ways. Like I saw this one tweet from someone whose mother-in-law bought a house in Manchester, Vermont, um, in the summer of 2020 for about $500,000. And get this, she resold it a year later for $750,000. What? Okay. I know. That's nuts. Insane. Well, yeah. I feel like we could probably share these stories for hours. I could certainly mm -hmm. listen to them or commiserate <laughs> with them for hours. Um, but what I'm really interested in is, like, how are we going to fix this problem? What are some solutions, especially for Vermonters who are in pretty dire housing straits right now? Well, the good news about this problem becoming a crisis is that everybody, politicians and, and folks at nonprofits and all sorts of people in the state... Everyone agrees that it needs to get fixed somehow, and everyone has a different idea for how to do that. Um, and I talked to a lot of them for this episode. Um, so let's get into some of that. All right, let's say you're part of a household that makes the median income here in Vermont, $62,000 a year. That means you can afford a home that's around $230,000. There's just one problem. According to one recent estimate, the median price for a home here is $340,000. That's more than 100 k more than your family can afford. What is going on? 
the market is hot. There is not inventory for sale homes on the market right now. This is the head of the Vermont Housing Finance Agency, Maura Collins. Do you pronounce your name Mara or Mora? Because my daughter's Maura. name is Mara. No, I have, and I get, you know, Moira, Mara, Mora, and then I get Laura, Cora, Nora, mm. Nora, Mora, you know, whatever. Yeah. I'm very flexible. Mora spends a lot of time poring over Vermont housing data. She says Vermont's housing prices have been hot for years, but the pandemic has made it way worse. Between 2019 and 2021, the average sale price for a single-family home went up nearly 40 percent. There are a couple reasons for that, and one of them is that more people are moving here from out of state. Generally, they're going to Chittenden County or they're going to towns where you can do a certain winter sport. Some of the biggest price increases have actually been in our ski communities and a lot of our more resort towns. Uh, there's a lot of suspicion that that is being driven by second homeowners where they are turning those vacation homes into their primary residences and moving here, or they are taking advantage of the hot market and selling those homes at top dollar. But Maura Collins is quick to tell me that we shouldn't pin the high housing prices on pandemic migration. There's actually a much bigger culprit, underbuilding. When we get closer, but we have decades and decades and decades of underbuilding in Vermont to make up for Back in the 1980s, Vermont was building more than 3,000 homes a year. In the most recent decade, that number was down to 400 a year. Way too low to keep up with demand. And now we're paying the price, literally. But here's that silver lining again of the pandemic turning our housing problem into a total crisis. Basically, all the powers that be agree that it needs to get fixed. Like, now. The number one plan? Build Build, build. Madam President, Madam Speaker, Madam Pro Tem, Mr. Chief Justice, members of the General Assembly. This is Governor Vermont. Phil Scott giving his budget proposal this January. Even with all we've invested over the last five years, we're still not building enough. This is especially true for middle-income families looking for affordable homes. Right now, the supply of modestly priced homes for sale is practically non-existent. He cites some pretty shocking statistics here, like there were only five homes for sale in Chittenden County that were affordable to middle-income families at the time of his speech. This is the middle-income housing shortage we're talking about. To fix it, he says, let's take tens of millions of dollars that Vermont's getting from the federal government for COVID relief and put it towards housing. Let's build tons of houses and apartments for low- and middle-income people. Lots of those buildings will be in Chittenden County, but there are other towns that are going to get some of that cash. Places like Brattleboro. Hi, Joe. Hey. Hello, how are you? I'm well. How are you doing? I'm good. Joe Wea is the director of a refugee resettlement organization in Brattleboro called the Ethiopian Community Development Council. He's spending most of his time right now finding housing for the 100 Afghan refugees he's in charge of resettling. We speak over Zoom about it. So what is what is the biggest challenge for you right now in terms of finding people stable housing? Physical structures. Um, you know, the housing itself is, is, is a challenge, even though we have 
uh, families um, say, I have a room here, I have a space here. Got it. Okay, that's so interesting. So you have the money to help new arrivals pay for rent, but there's no place to pay the rent too because those structures just don't exist. Right. The refugees are all living in dorm rooms right now at the School for International Training's campus. There are a bunch of single people, mostly men, and a lot of families, too. More than a third of the refugees are children, including five babies. Joe's organization can help these families get money from the state to pay for rent. But, like he said, there's no one to pay rent to. He's thought a lot about this, and he says he's decided that housing is the main reason why Vermont's population is so lacking in diversity, and why our population isn't growing much either. I think the whole affordable housing situation is a conversation that communities across Vermont we need to have. We need to have, we have to look into our, to be real with ourselves. Um, if we want, you know, um, to welcome people, if we want to be a community of a diverse community, then we have to make everyone welcome, uh, regardless of whether um, you come from Afghanistan or you came from, you know, um, New York City. Um, you all should be welcome here. Joe for governor. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I don't think Governor Scott would let me hear that. coming up how vermonters are getting creative about the very concept of a home in the absence of traditional houses so an accessory dwelling unit isn't necessarily going to give you home ownership but you know you could feel like you have your own little space more on that when we come back It's Brave Little State. I'm Myra Flynn. And today, we're unpacking Vermont's housing crisis after this question came to us from Danny Gagnon of Montpelier. How are the high housing prices and housing shortages affecting Vermonters? What are we doing or what should we be doing to solve the housing crisis? VPR's Michaela Lafrac has been walking us through the answer to Danny's question. So, so far, we've learned that one big reason for the housing crisis is that Vermont is short on houses. Politicians want to spend a lot of money to help build more, and many people here are really excited about that. But building a house or an apartment building takes a lot of time, and it's really expensive, especially outside of Chittenden County. I won't go into too much detail here, but Basically, lots of parts of the state have pretty limited water and sewage infrastructure. So building new buildings, especially outside of town, can be pretty hard. There's also this law called Act 250. It's a development review law. And some people say it gums up the permitting process for new construction. And if you want to learn more about Act 250, you can listen to Brave Little State's other housing episode. We'll link to it in the show notes. Oh, perfect. So instead of building brand new homes, some communities want to find other solutions. Let's stick with Brattleboro here, where Joe Wea of the Ethiopian Community Development Council lives. The town just did this big housing study, and it says Brattleboro needs 500 more units of housing. That's a lot for a town of only 12,000 people. 
seriously, that's like a big chunk of that town. Yeah, exactly. So instead of trying to construct like hundreds of new buildings, they came up with another plan, rezoning. Okay, you might lose me at zoning, Michaela. (laughs) No, Myra, stay with me. I can explain. And I actually have someone here who's going to help me. Hi, I'm Sue Fillion. I'm the planning director for the town of Rattleboro. Sue and her colleagues were like, hey, why don't we just change the town's zoning laws so that we can fit in more housing units onto each lot? In some cases, it was above a garage. You know, it was like a separate garage and they could convert space. Or maybe building an in-law apartment in a big backyard. Right now, there's a team that's literally going street to street in Brattleboro, figuring out where they can fit in more of this type of housing. They're called accessory dwelling units, or ADUs. And Myra, as a former Angelino, I think you're going to like this, Sue says she's been looking to L.A. for ideas on ADUs. And she says they had this cool idea that could actually work really well in Brattleboro. Basically, the town would commission a few architectural designs for these units to make it easier and cheaper to build one. A lot of times it's the soft costs associated with the development. You know, you need to get an architect or you need to get your design and and that kind of stuff. So if we could have a couple of designs that are already done and, you know, easy to permit that, you know, reduces some of the cost. And some of the larger cities like Los Angeles have definitely been moving towards that. Woohoo! LA Vermont connections, finally. (laughs) Right? And this whole rezoning thing is going to be a really big deal in Vermont over the next couple of years. The Upper Valley has a new housing study out that talks about rezoning. Burlington's looking at it for different neighborhoods. And the list just goes on and on. And some people even think we should go farther and the whole state should just get rid of the idea of zoning one house per plot of land. Minneapolis just did this a couple years ago. It got rid of what's called single family zoning. And it was a huge deal. So this all sounds pretty promising so far. I mean, pretty much everyone agrees that we need to build more houses, and it seems like they finally have the money to do it. So likely in a couple years, this housing crisis will be solved, right? Oh, how I wish that were true. When Danny's question won the Brave Little State voting round, we got an email from Joe Ament. He's a macroeconomist from Vermont, but he's living in England right now. He's teaching at the University of Leeds. And he's been researching this exact topic. So we got on Zoom, and you know that feeling when you build a beautiful tower of cards and you're really proud of it, and then some macroeconomist waltzes in and knocks it all down? That is what Joe did to me. You hear politicians and other economists talking about housing affordability in the terms of supply, that there's not enough, we need to build more. That's all you ever hear. I'm not convinced that the supply of housing is the number one driver of our housing affordability issue. Yeah, so you're saying, can, so yeah, sorry, just to like, to clarify that, you you mean that like the the number of houses that are out there isn't the issue, isn't the, the main reason why houses are unaffordable. It's not a supply problem per se. Correct. Correct. Okay. Demand is the biggest issue in this price rise, and you can't address demand through supply. Huh. Okay. So how do you address it? 
And that, Myra, is the sound of me realizing my nice little card castle is falling apart. Now, I, I know this is confusing, and I also don't want to pretend like I totally understand macroeconomics, but basically, Joe's saying that the housing crisis is really complicated, and saying that we're going to fix it by only focusing on the supply side, well, that's a mistake. So did Joe help you figure out another answer? What did he say? He says we have to pay attention to two big drivers of demand. Number one, interest rates. As we know, the pandemic was a real doozy for the economy, so the Federal Reserve lowered interest rates. The goal was to make borrowing money easier and pump some cash into the economy. And it's really useful. It works really well. The thing is, when you drop those interest rates, all of a sudden you can afford to take out a much bigger loan. Plus, the stock market was doing really well for a while there, too. So people who had money invested could sell their stocks and use that cash towards buying a house. Because of both of these things, the lower interest rates and a gangbuster stock market, there are a lot more people out there who can bid high on houses. Like that little blue house in Burlington that we were talking about at the beginning of this episode. And we can't really build more little blue houses fast enough right now to keep up with all this demand. You know, it's, it's like all things in, in policy. Like, does it fit on a bumper sticker? Well, build more houses does, um, unfortunately. OK, point number two. Joe says more and more people are looking at houses not as homes, but as business investments. As part of his research, he's documented how the number of investors buying properties in Burlington has skyrocketed. So in 1999, 4.8 percent of medium priced homes in Burlington were sold to corporate buyers. And what corporate buyers means is the deed, the deed had an LLC on it. By 2018, 20%, one-fifth of median-priced homes in Burlington were getting bought up by LLCs. The presence of investors heavily in Burlington is causing the housing market to increase. And I think that is problematic for a lot of different groups of individuals. Um, but I, it's hard. Some of these corporate buyers are putting these houses on Airbnb. Others are renting them as vacation homes. As of a couple years ago, nearly 20 percent of Vermont's housing stock was being used seasonally, not year-round. That's a higher percentage than many other states, and it's likely grown since. So, yeah, we can build more houses, but what's stopping people from snatching them up for Airbnbs or investment properties and boxing out people like Danny? Joe says lawmakers could consider more radical solutions than just building, like raising property taxes for corporate buyers. If we do something like that, we might become a more affordable state, as well as a more inclusive and diverse one. I see housing as a human right. Now, that doesn't mean it can't be an investment, but we as a society have intricately linked housing and investment. And I think those at least should be questioned whether or not they belong together so tightly. So it's going to take a lot to fix Vermont's housing crisis. 
But there are still lots of people, like our question asker Danny, who can't or don't want to wait to find a home. Danny tells me she's already dreaming of buying a house one day. I think that in the next couple years, the goal would be to move into um, move to buying a, a home. But we're definitely apprehensive about what that will look like. You hear crazy stories. Um, so that's the goal, but I don't know how feasible it'll be. Our experts do have some tips. Aaron McCormick, the real estate agent, says you just have to be real with yourself about what you might have to pay. Like anything, buying real estate right now, you have to have a good strategy. You have to anticipate that you are going to go $30,000, $80,000 over asking price and be okay with that. That's a realtor's perspective. Maura Collins from the Vermont Housing Finance Agency says you can also take a breath, focus on building your credit, take home buying workshops, and research down payment and mortgage assistance programs. Danny is sticking with renting for now. She did find an affordable apartment in Montpelier after three months of searching. I'm wondering what, now that you've been in your apartment for a few months, what's your, what's your favorite thing about it? Oh, my favorite thing about it is that <laughs> there are these beautiful windows in the living room that are tall and always just so sunny light streaming through them and it makes me almost forget that I lived in a Boston basement apartment. (laughs) So I love the windows and the sunny living room. Oh, and that little blue house in Burlington at the top of this episode, it was marked as sale pending after just three days on the market. much for listening to the show. And thanks to Danny Gagnon for the great and complex question. If you have a question for the show, ask it at bravelittlestate.org. That's where you can sign up for the BLS newsletter and vote on the question you want us to tackle next. You can also call our BLS hotline anytime at 802-552-4880. This episode was reported by Michaela Lafrac, who's also the host of VPR's Vermont Edition, with editing by the Brave Little State team, Josh Crane, Angela Evansy, and me. I also produced and mixed this episode, digital production by Josh Crane. Ty Gibbons composed our theme music, other music by Blue Dot Sessions. Special thanks to Liam Elder Connors and to all the Vermonters who shared their housing stories with us, including Emily, Sam, Dennis, Molly, Shane, Ross, and Jocelyn. Brave Little State is a production of Vermont Public Radio. We have support from VPR sustaining members. You can become one of those at bravelittlestate.org donate, or just tell your friends about the show. I'm Myra Flynn. We'll be back soon with more people-powered storytelling. Until then, remember, be brave, ask questions. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. 
NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.